You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. And our current serial is no longer Musketeer Space. Uh, that's all done. Uh, thank you all for your lovely comments about my Q&A episode. I'll definitely have to do more Ask Tansy uh, episodes in the future. So that was really fun. Our new serial is Of Knives and Night Blooms. Uh, the first, hopefully, of a series called The River Divine. And I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. Chapter One At the Blooming Cup Dio Taurus knew this taste. Shade root and honey. His tongue was sticky with it. He woke slowly, aware of the cloth stuffed in his mouth and the sweet herbal scent that had forced him to sleep too long. He had trained himself on potion after potion, tasting tiny doses of the fifty most common criminal concoctions until he knew them cold. If the examination was only based on things he could remember, he would have qualified as a gladius in the vigils years ago. Ridding himself of the gag was easy. Dio bit and chewed at the cloth, stretching his jaw until the cloth slid aside, smearing his chin with the same tincture that had kept him under. His wrists and ankles were another matter. Leather cuffs bound him to the bed. "'You made neat work of that,' said a dry voice nearby. "'I almost wish I'd let you keep the wire you sewed into your cuff. "'Nothing like an amateur escapology trick to brighten my day.' Dio tipped his head back. In the low light he could see the intruder, a man in black, standing at the window of the little room in the Blooming Cup tea house where Dio had been staying for the last few weeks. Family discount, only two crows a night with meals thrown in, if he helped out around the place. There were worse places in the world to be broke and waiting for his next chance. He didn't have to be a gladius to know that the man at the window was dangerous, and that Dio was at his mercy. It might take two, three hours for the shade route to clear completely from his system, until then, Dio would remain clumsy and slow, sluggish of movement, compliant. It took him several minutes of wriggling to confirm that the lockpick wire he usually kept in his left sleeve, a vigil is always prepared, was gone. Nothing but threads rubbing against his wrist. He should be afraid. But through a glazed shade root fog, he found it hard to care that he was trapped. Fear would come later, he supposed. What do you want? he asked. Nothing from you, boy, said the intruder. There was only one window facing into the shaded courtyard, so it took forever for the morning light to slide in here. Still, by the sounds rising from below, breakfast was well underway. Dio should be working already, earning his keep. Auntie was going to be pissed off he had slept in. The man 
was all shadow and black hood, dark on dark on dark. Dio could see the faint line of a bearded jaw, but little else. The man was so still, it would be easy to miss his presence altogether. Dio's eyes dropped lower to see the swirling shape picked out in thin embroidery on the man's left shoulder, a red, twisting sigil against the black cloth, featuring a scythe and a wing. The threads were thin, so they could only be seen at close range. An elaborate sketch of that particular seal had featured in four of the examinations Dio had failed in the last year. It was a favourite question to test the arcane knowledge of the applicant. You're a priest of death, he breathed. Don't worry, said the stranger. You're not my mark, Dio Taurus. Dio hadn't imagined that he was. The priests of the Black Raven didn't turn out for any old random citizen. You have to be important to warrant that kind of attention. And Dio was, well... He was nobody. He hadn't got started being anybody yet. He was 22 years old and had still not managed to convince anyone in authority that he was competent enough to do the one job he'd always wanted for himself. The only way he was getting assassinated was in a case of mistaken identity. Why drug me then, he demanded, if I'm so unimportant? Blame the shade route for making him brave. This was the most interesting conversation he'd had in months. The man at the window made a movement that might have been a shrug. I like your window. Good line of sight. Minimal risk of being thwarted in my sacred duty. No offence, but you're less of a threat than the old ladies in the room next door. They sleep lighter and their yarn is full of needles. Dio made a noise of protest. His throat was recovering, at least. A word of warning, Dio Taurus, said the intruder, still calm and friendly for a killer. I don't want to leave my post right now, which means that I prefer not to stroll over and replace that gag. However, if I suspect for a moment you are going to make a sound any louder than that, chicken squawk you just uttered. I will end you from here without hesitation. Dio lifted his chin at that. Isn't it against your code to kill someone whose murder hasn't been bought and paid for? He challenged. The man in black turned slightly, enough that Dio could see one glittering eye as well as the sleek crossbow he had resting on the windowsill. You make a good point, said the assassin. It is indeed frowned upon by my god. I would have to do weeks of penance, and yet without hesitation. Under normal circumstances, Dio was excellent at knowing when to shut his mouth. The dozen or more aunties responsible for raising him over the course of his childhood had ensured that, if nothing else... He wasn't always great at listening to himself when his brain shouted at him to shut up, but he knew when it was a bad idea to keep talking, even if, more often than not, he did it anyway. 
He managed silence for several minutes, counting his heartbeat and watching the figure at his window. A cramp twisted in his calf and he wriggled a little to settle it. I'm with the vigils, he tried finally. Level three Gladius. My team will come looking for me if I don't check in. The line only provided entertainment for the priest of death, who huffed a laugh. I know you failed the exam nine times this year, he said, under six different names across multiple provinces because there's actually a limit on how often the system allows you to embarrass yourself like that. The only person likely to come looking for you, Dio Taurus, is your Auntie Beto. But there's an important visitor at the tea house today, and she'll be distracted for a while yet. I don't need that much time. How? Dio's voice cracked on the word. No one knew about all the failed exams, not his aunties, not anyone. He'd been so careful. How do you know all that? I wanted to stand at your window, said the assassin. I always do my research beforehand. They both gave up talking after that. Dio slumped back on the bed. Shame overwhelmed him, cutting through the shade-root days. Until now, he'd been working under the illusion that no one knew about his evergreen humiliation. But he was this complete stranger, a professional killer with a hot, growly voice who took one look at him and saw everything he had worked so hard to hide. At this point, his only consolation was that the priest of the Black Raven was almost certainly going to kill him to tidy up the scene after he finished his work. And if not, he cared so little about Dio's existence he was unlikely to gossip to his family. The water clock on the dresser dripped its way past a whole hour. The priest at the window barely moved. Who are you here to kill? Dio asked finally, when he could take the silence no longer. He couldn't tell if the shade route was wearing off, but he still felt weirdly relaxed, as if he could drop off into sleep at any moment. The assassin laughed, an odd, pained sound. That's a complicated question, he said. Getting more complicated by the minute. Is something wrong? The atmosphere in the room had changed. He wasn't sure how he knew that, but the reason Dio kept failing his Gladius exam had everything to do with how words and letters jumped about on the page and nothing to do with his crime-fighting instincts. The priest of death had been cool and confident before. Now he sounded rattled. You might say that. The assassin stepped back from the window, his gaze still fixed on the square below. His hand never strayed far from his crossbow. I was paid to ensure the death of a foreign royal, visiting from the Imperium. I'm looking at her right now. She's currently drinking tea with your auntie in the shade of a rather spectacular cherry blossom tree. The petal, Dio moaned. Oh, hell. Auntie Beto had been prepping for this honoured visitor for days, ever since she got word from the northern gate. A petal of the House of Flowers from the Imperium visiting her tea house. 
was the most exciting thing that had ever happened around here. It was going to be so embarrassing if the woman was killed here in Auntie's courtyard. You've heard of these petals? snapped the priest. Ladies who work magic. Women born with magic here in the Divine Kingdom were rare, and their powers were usually tightly controlled or repressed. Over the border in the Imperium was another matter. Luckily for me, this one does not, said the assassin. It's a cover story, and a weak one, as if any woman with half a spark of magic would set foot in this benighted country. Our so-called petal is the widowed sister of the current empress of the Imperium, travelling to Phoenix Burning with her daughter for a wedding. Dio had heard stories of the Imperium from his aunties, who took a close interest in the magic that women were allowed to possess in other lands. He was confident that the first family of the Imperium had magic in their blood, an empress's sister could easily be a priestess and a magician as well as a royal. Still, there was no reason to volunteer that information. This assassin claimed to be good at research. Also, he had a point. A magical woman would have to be very sure of her powers and protections to travel through the Divine Kingdom. She'd bring armies of banshees and water sprites to keep her safe, that sort of thing. Why haven't you shot her already? Dio asked. If she's right there, what are you waiting for? As it turns out, said the man in black, my client has hired more than one priest of the Black Raven for this job. A colleague of mine is currently sharing tea with the petal and her daughter and your auntie just below this window. Another is working undercover in the laundry. I caught sight of her a few moments ago. But that's, said Dio, frankly astonished. Fucking outrageous, yes, I agree. Dio was no worshipper of the Black Raven or any god beyond the Divine King. Born unmarked, he had the freedom to choose, and so far he had chosen nothing. His plan was to devote his life to national service, and the vigils preferred their cadets to start out with as few religious obligations as possible. Still, he paid the usual tithes every new year to each of the gods, and he knew the basic tenets of the raven's service. Religious doctrine was easier to access than most of the material covered by the vigil exam. All you had to do was attend the right temple services, listen to the right sermons. No books necessary. Isn't it an abomination to contract more than one servant to the same holy quest? Dio blurted out now. I mean, that's one of the twelve abominations, yeah? It stains your soul to kill another priest's mark. Yes, said the assassin between gritted teeth. Well done. If only those exams you keep failing required you to know things. Perhaps they're here to kill someone else, Dio suggested. He had no idea why he was trying to make this man feel better. The assassin rubbed between his eyes, as if he was getting a headache. Is the blooming cup commonly the site of a sacred death? 
let alone a messy massacre. Well, no, they were right on the River Divine, in the foothills of the Iron Mountains, so the occasional corpse wash washed up here from time to time, that was to be expected. No one who knew his auntie Beto would deliberately murder a guest under her roof, except apparently a cluster of death priests. A gang? A conspiracy of ravens? A murder of ravens. Dio answered the question with another question. Is it true you sense each other's presence, that you can recognise another servant of the Black Raven by their aura? Yes, said the assassin, but in this case I also have eyes, and I know them personally. The one sharing tea with your auntie is the needle. The one in the laundry is the blade. Does that make you the crossbow? Blood and endless, do you ever shut up? The assassin raised his weapon, thankfully pointing into the courtyard and not directly at Dio. Brace yourself, Dio Taurus, the world's about to end. Dio had promised himself he would not cry out, but as he saw the bolt loosed, he could not help but open his mouth to bellow a warning to the priest's victim, even knowing it would be too little too late. The room blazed with a blinding light. Dio's stale mouth filled up with a syrupy gunk so thick and plentiful that his whole body revolted against the intrusion. It was sweet, sweet like roses. Light seared his vision until it gave way to darkness. Magic, magic, magic. He could taste it on his tongue, even as his mind fought entirely against whatever was happening to him, to his blood, his body. Then he could sense nothing at all, except the scent of river lilies and salt mud. When he awoke again, Dio was tied to a different bed in a different room. No, not a room. A cabin in a boat that rocked and bobbed gently beneath him. A river barge by the feel of it, low and slow. He was not alone. It was a wide bed, big enough for several people. A man sat opposite him, tied to the foot, just as Dio was tied to the head, propped up on pillows. This was the death priest from his room, younger in appearance than he'd first thought, though that meant nothing for a priest of the Black Raven, who was known for keeping his servants youthful for decades or even centuries of service. The man had high cheekbones and was scarred across one of his thick eyebrows. A pair of bright eyes bore into Dio from this short distance. A scowling mouth twisted beneath a dark, close-cropped beard. In full light, the priest looked even more likely to murder Dio simply for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. His wrists, where they were bound to the bed, were wrapped in long pink ribbons. He was also 
far more attractive than Dio was prepared to deal with right now. That inconvenience could be put away in a box and never examined too closely. In his 22 years of life, he had learned that the men and women he was most likely to fall in love with were the kind most likely to step on him from a great height. Dio opened his mouth to speak and spat out fleshy petals instead. The remains of several river lilies chewed up and sour. He could feel the ghost of the shade root still in his system. At least if this was the reason he was not screaming in panic, he was grateful for it. Well, said the priest of death, spitting out his own mouthful, bright pinks and oranges, the remains of a tiger orchid that would cost a mint in the market. This is just peachy. They were not the only occupants of the bed. The woman beside Dio was still unconscious. She had a mass of black curly hair spilling over her face, and her body was all curves. One curve in particular called attention to itself, a pregnant belly, swathed in layers of silk. She was also tied to the bed by pink ribbons looped around her wrists. She might look soft, but she had a harsh past. There were long, rough scars on both arms, and another near the upper swell of her breast. Her hands were calloused from work, not the soft skin of an indoors lady. The other woman was narrow and angular, her dark hair pulled back in a practical series of braids designed to stay the hell out of her way. Her scars were on her face, two by her hairline, another down by her jaw. She strained against the ribbons as if she expected to be able to break out with willpower alone. Her whole body vibrated with fury as she stared at the priest of the Black Raven with bright green eyes. The air crackled between them. Two damaged, beautiful people seething with rage at each other. Simultaneously, they both snapped, This is all your fault. And Dio, fool that he was, blurted, Do you know each other? Thank you for listening to Sheep Might Fly and Chapter 1 of my first serial of Knives and Night Blooms. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Twitter at TansyRR, and if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. When uh, Of Knives and Night Blooms is complete, my Patreon subscribers will all receive the ebook. I'm not sure when I'm going to release it for wide consumption, so Patreon for this year, I want to say, certainly most of this year, um, it might be a long book, um, is, is going to be the first place to get the ebook. So just letting you know that. Uh, also, supporters of my Patreon may like to know that uh, those at the $3 backstage pass monthly tier now have access to a 
fabulous Discord server uh, featuring a whole bunch of Gaslamp and historical fantasy authors, including me. So that's one of the many, many rewards that my Patreon subscribers have potential access to. I will see you next week for more Assassins on a River. Thank you.